Hey, what's up, Cody Birch? Welcome to today's episode. We have a very special guest. Her name is Molly Galbraith, and Molly has a book coming out. It's available for pre-order now. It's called Strong Women Lift Each Other Up, and it's a fantastic book. Molly is the co-founder of a company called Girls Gone Strong, and a company that I've had the pleasure of working with since 2017 with their Facebook ads and their marketing. And it's been a lot of fun to collaborate with them and see the enormous impact and influence that they've made in the world of health and wellness and women's health. It's just been really phenomenal to follow her journey. And I remember a about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, she was starting to leak out to me and other people on the team, hey, there's this book thing happening. And so it's been so fun to watch the journey and the progression now. And a year or so later, the book is here. It's here and available for pre-order. So I'll put a link in the show notes for you to check it out. I really think you'll enjoy this conversation between Molly and myself. And then make sure you run, don't walk, to go pick up her new book, Anywhere Books Are Sold. Want to know what it really takes to build a thriving, profitable business from the ground up? Hey, I'm your host, Cody Birch, and this is the Cody Builds a Business Podcast, your unfiltered front row seat to watching me build a seven-figure online business from scratch or die trying. Let's get started. Hey, before we go to the interview today, I wanted to make sure you knew about my newest workshop. It's called the Laidback Launch Workshop, and it's something that I am really, really proud of because when you go to launch your next program, course, membership, mastermind, whatever it is, you can get kind of bogged down in the details. And the temptation is to go ahead and build the thing and plan a big launch and get JVs and affiliates. And it's actually the opposite of that that I teach in the Laidback Launch Workshop. We talk about how to validate your idea before you even build it, how to get your first few customers, and how to build social proof and momentum towards a big spotlight launch in the future should you choose to do that. So to check out the Laidback Launch Workshop, just go to CodyBirch.com slash Laidback. All right. I think we did it. We're now live on Facebook. Hey, Cody Birch here with my friend Molly Galbraith. Molly, how are you doing today? I'm great, Cody. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Yeah, this is awesome. There's uh, many reasons I have always wanted to try to get you on the podcast and have an interview. And I think this is the first live podcast that I've done where we're streaming it to Facebook as well. So you hold that mantle now. You're the only one that's ever been able to say that. So thanks for that. Um, but we have a really good excuse to chat today. And that is that you have a very awesome uh, project you've been working on. You have a book, a forthcoming book that's really close uh, to being released. So Thanks for coming on the show. I want to talk all about the book. I want to talk about all of the concepts taught in the book and all that stuff too. But before we dive into that, give us a quick background of who you are and who you serve and your mission. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on here. My name is Molly Galbraith and I'm co-founder and woman in charge of Girls Gone Strong. So I've been in health and fitness for over 17 years. By trade, I am a certified strength and conditioning specialist, but I consider myself to be a coach who helps women get from where they are now to where they want to be. And I've done that in a lot of different ways. So I've trained clients online and in person. I have uh, co-owned a brick and mortar gym in Lexington, Kentucky. I've had a seminar business. I have a failed health and fitness software business. Um, and then Girls Gone Strong started in 2011. And so at that point in time, I had kind of my own personal blog and the brick and mortar gym and the seminar business. And then Girls Gone Strong started, it really started taking off a couple of years later. So in 2014, I sold my interest in the gym and went full-time Girls Gone Strong. And GGS started as a organization that was just really passionate about what I call preaching the gospel of strength training to women. So it started by women who had had their lives changed by strength training. And it's kind of hard to imagine now because so much has changed in the last 10 years. But in 2011, there were not a ton of women in the weight room and strength training had changed our lives. And so we wanted to share that with other women. And over the last 10 years, we have evolved into the world's largest platform. I'm going to throw a lot of words at you real quick, but I'll circle around and explain them the world's largest platform providing evidence-based interdisciplinary women-specific health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy education to women and the professionals who work with them. So that just basically means our information is research-backed. It's focused on women. We bring together a variety of experts from all over the world. So PhDs, psychologists, strength coaches, dietitians to come together to provide the information. And we work with women and professionals who work with them. So it started out kind of on the strength training side. Is that is that fair? Like early back in the days, what was the transition like to realizing, hey, there's a bigger picture at play here. There's other ways we can uh, educate women and the people that help women. What was that evolution like? Yeah, that's a great question. So we started 2011 
big focus on strength training, a little bit of like cardio nutrition, and really it evolved over time as I evolved and my personal experiences evolved as often happens with an organization or a business. You go through your own kind of transformation. You're like, oh, wow, there's more to this. So there's more that I can do. I can kind of broaden my scope a little bit. So 2013, I went through a really big, well, 2012, 2013, kind of went through some like really big life stuff and started realizing like, okay, I need to be talking more about mental health, about body image, about how, you know, women feel about themselves and their bodies. It's not just about how their bodies look, but it's also about their relationship with themselves. And then a couple more years passed and like, oh, autonomy is really important here. Like women having agency over their own bodies, having the ability to make decisions for themselves. You know, so much of the information in women's health and fitness has been focused on telling women to shrink, you know, so get your bikini body back, like tighten and tone your tummy in 10 days, smooth your legs. Here's what's wrong with your body. Eat less, you know, who wore it better, best and worst beach bodies. What's a perfect woman's body look like? Oh, take this woman's body part and this woman's body part and mash them together to make a woman that doesn't even exist. Right? Like that's so much of what the information has been about. So helping women see that there are so many possibilities for their life and their body. And that it's not just about shrinking and getting smaller or fitting this really narrow definition of what, you know, perfect or fit or healthy looks like. And then over the last several years, we've kind of expanded even further and kind of been considering all of the ways that like social justice ties into this as well. So who has access to health and fitness, who sees themselves represented in health and fitness spaces? Do people have, you know, access to fresh foods and safe places to work out and things like that. So we've been kind of taking an even broader lens. And then around that same time, we realized that a lot of um, health and fitness professionals were following us for women specific information. Because if you're not in health and fitness, you might not know that there's not that there's not a lot of women specific information in like your baseline certifications or in your kinesiology program at your school. Right. And so that stuff just doesn't exist out there. So we had a lot of health and fitness professionals following us. And we had a lot of women who had their own personal transformation. And then they said, girls gone strong has changed my life. I want to be this person for other women. And so they wanted to become a health and fitness professional. So after about five or six years of, of doing our girls gone strong work, we realized we had a big audience of health and fitness professionals. And we had a big audience of women who wanted to become health and fitness professionals so that they could be the person for other women that we had been for them. That's an awesome, like complete journey to take somebody from whatever was going on in their lives that caused them to want to interact with the resources provided by Girls Gone Strong through getting some results and transformation all the way through to, I got to tell more people about that. And is there any way to certify me or can my partner up in some way and leverage the tools that you've given me so I can then become a vessel to other people so they can feel like I felt? Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, it totally is. And especially with our focus on pre and postnatal coaching. So, so many women have either a really great experience of someone of a coach or trainer or nutritionist or whomever who's been a really positive guide in their life through pregnancy and postpartum, which can just be such a tumultuous time or an, even an uncertain time or an exciting time, but still overwhelming. And I mean, I know you, you've got three kiddos, <laughs> you know, what you know what that's like. So for a lot of women to have someone who's that guide for them during that time in their life or where they had a really negative experience and they're like, I don't want other women to have the same experience I have had. I want to be this person for them. So that's definitely a fair characterization. And for us, we realized how many more people we could impact. So we already had a great reach when we were focused on helping women on their own journey. We still do that, but realizing like, oh, okay, well, these health and fitness professionals, these physical therapists, these, you know, medical doctors or licensed mental health professionals, all of whom we serve, we don't just serve coaches and trainers, but they are working with five, 10, 20, 50, 150, you know, uh, clients or patients. So realizing that our impact could be kind of like exponential if we were to coach the coaches or coach the professionals was really exciting for us as well. Yeah, on the business side, I do a lot of, obviously with sales funnels and online marketing and Facebook ads. And there's this idea that it's it's not a funnel, it's an hourglass. They come through the top in some way and there's a convergence at the bottom when they you know buy our course or they buy our certification. But then what happens is they go out into the world and then they spread what they learned from us and they share that transformation. And then that uh, multiplies or magnifies our initial impact of what we thought was possible. Like what if we could get five customers or 500 customers, but then thinking, wait, what if those, if each customer helps five other people, now we're really part of something here. And that's how I've always characterized Girls Gone Strong in my head is it's this movement that's a, I don't even know the right words to use, but it's this movement of women and, and, and men too, but you know, women focused education, women focused resources to 
I don't know. Here, I've got a confession. I haven't ever told you this, so now's a, now's a good time as any. You've made a really no. You've made a really big positive impact on me and the way I approach the, the vocabulary you've given me with like my relationship with food. I'm like, what do you mean? I just kind of want Oreos, but I've heard Molly talk about having a healthy relationship with food or around these ideas of body confidence. And I know that I'm probably not your target market, but you've been a big impact on me uh, just with how I approach food and how we approach health and wellness with our kids who are nine, 12 and 14. And then, you know, my, my wife and I love to work out and, and try to live a healthy lifestyle, but also without any kind of judgment or shame or uh, what we feel like we should do or should look like. And a lot of that's been through you and your work and the people at Girls Gone Strong. So thank you for that. And your unintended ripple effect of helping, you know, some, dude with a beard and on a cul-de-sac in Colorado, <laughs> uh, you know, is how far the ripple effect can go, I guess. Yeah, that's the thing. It's so powerful. And then you're raising your children with that kind of language. And you know what I mean? Then they're going to, if they choose to have children, they're going to do the same for them. And so, yeah, it's really cool that I mean, literally the generational shifts that we can create um, within our own families and our communities. And so it's exciting. So I'm very, I'm very pleased to hear that and to know that, that, um, that it's had that impact on you, even just kind of being in within the stratosphere, the orbit of Girls Gone Strong without even having to be, you know, like one of our, um, one of our certification graduates or whatever. Yeah. Well, I'm very grateful. So that's a great segue, I think, into a concept you talk about heavily in your book, or one of the things that jumped out to me uh, is this idea of a ripple effect, uh, how a kind word or a vote of confidence or a moment of praise can have a ripple effect for months or years or whatever down the road. And it was a really eye-opening concept for me to think about how I can use my uh, platform or my influence, my relationships to be a positive influence on somebody else that might have a ripple effect lasting a long time in the future. Can you tell us a bit more about that when you saw that happen or what's that concept? Yeah, absolutely. So ripple effect is exactly like what, what you said. And I, we actually have an illustration of it within the book, within strong women lift each other up. And it's this idea that, you know, let's say one woman chooses to do something to lift two other women up in, in her life at some point. And then those women choose to lift two other women up. And then each of those women choose to lift two women up within uh, you know, if it was once a week or whatever for 10 weeks, within 10 weeks, 2,046 women would have been lifted up. And within the book, I give like actionable, tangible ways to do it. Cause I think we're at this really unique time when people are like, this girl can, and the future is female and, you know, women can do anything. And like, we should support each other, but we're missing a lot of the really tangible ways to do it. And some of the really tangible ways to do it sound so small that we feel like they're not actually going to make an impact. But that's why throughout the book, I share all of these stories of women who choose to lift women up in some way and what that ripple effect actually turns into. So there's one woman that I talk about in the book, Chrissy King, and she wrote, um, we asked her to write an article for Girls Gone Strong four years ago. She was a trainer and um, and coach and, you know, was coaching clients online. And we asked her to write this article. And long story short, she said that being asked to write an article for Girls Come Strong and getting paid for writing it made her actually realize that she could get paid for sharing her work with other people. And now she is a full-time writer. She's a course creator. She's created amazing um, courses for health and fitness professionals on anti-racism, diversity, equity, and inclusion. She's working with a major organization to create a certification for them. She speaks, she consults, she writes. And obviously like that is her hard work that has allowed her to be able to do that. But it was asking her to write an article was the shift for her that like, oh, wow, I can actually get paid for doing this thing that I'm really passionate about and I love. And it gave her the courage and even just the vision, right? Because sometimes when we don't even see something as a possibility for ourselves, we don't know, we don't think that we can achieve it or go after it. But that one thing of asking her to do it and getting paid for it, it was an, like an entire kind of energetic shift for her and realizing what was possible. So she quit her corporate job, full-time writing, speaking, consulting, you know, creating, educating. And for her, she said that little spark was getting paid for her work. And it's like, you would never think like, oh, hey, you want to write an article? Okay, cool. You know, like, it's like not that big of a deal, right? To ask someone to do that thing. But within the book, I share other things like you have a coworker and she really crushes it in a meeting. And afterwards you say like, Hey, you were so like thoughtful and prepared and confident. Like you brought so much great stuff to the meeting. I just really want to let you know, I appreciate how you showed up. It was really inspiring for me or whatever. Like 
Okay. Well, that one compliment might encourage that woman to be like, you know what? I did do a good job. Like I've been crushing at work. I'm, I'm going to ask my boss for a raise, right? It might like give her the confidence to be like, I did do a really good job. I can do this better on my own. I'm going to go start my own thing, or I'm going to create my side hustle. Or it can say like, yeah, you're right. I am strong and confident. I'm good at this. And it could like lead her to speak up when, you know, her partner or her mom or someone is being overbearing. She might be role modeling that for her daughter. Her daughter might see what it looks like to stand up for yourself and set boundaries. If she gets that raise from her boss, other women in the office might see that and be like, Hey, we should, we do the same work as her. We should get a raise too, helping close some type of, you know, gender pay gap or whatever. Like there are just so many like little things that we can do. And we, it's, I have seen in my life, the immeasurable impact of that ripple effect. Once it kind of, you know, starts hitting all the different people and kind of exponentiates out over time. Yeah, I was on a group email with uh, other men and we were all doing the best we can. This isn't about uh, this this <laughs> bad job that we were doing, but yeah. there was uh, there were two women copied on the email thread and they were, they're not like unpaid interns, but they were kind of assistants. They were hourly temp workers. And uh, one of the women replied all to all of us and uh, she had a really great idea. And I was just replied all to everybody else and said, that's a great idea. Let's do what she said. And, uh, and honestly, it was after I read your book. So it was like with that in mind of, it wasn't like, well, this is a bad idea, but she's a woman. So like, let's edify that idea. It's like, no, this is a great idea. This is for for sure, obviously what we should be doing. Reply all, let's do what she said. And hopefully gave her a little, like, maybe she stood a little bit taller that day. of like, my, that was a good idea. You know, Cody was right. Yeah. I knew it was a good idea, but, and it makes me wonder too, Molly, about the opposite effect. Like what if in that scenario, I was like, well, that's not a very good idea. Can you just, well, BCC you going forward? Uh, Cause the, you know, we're talking over here about better ideas. Um, have you seen, because I, I remember a diagram in the book too, it was kind of the opposite of if you like snuff that flame out, mm-hmm. it's got a ripple effect too of opportunities that'd be missed. The opposite of that. Can you talk to that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to circle back to one more thing you just said. So when you wrote back, you know, CC'd all and said, hey, that's a great idea. Like you might have also within the eyes of the other people who are working on that project been like, oh, yeah, Rachel's actually really valuable. Like we don't want to lose her. Like, are we paying her enough? You know what I mean? Like if she's going to bring ideas like this to the table, we want to make, you know, like that could have then bolstered her reputation in the eyes of the other people who were on that email, probably helped her stand a little bit taller, made it maybe gave her the confidence to speak up next time. Maybe she has a million more great ideas she hasn't shared with you all because she didn't feel comfortable, was afraid it wouldn't be received well, thought that she was, you know, lowly temp worker or whatever the thing is, but she's like, oh, well, they actually listened to me. Okay, so now I'm going to share these other great ideas that I have, right? So you that's kind of the point. You never know what the ripple effect of the positive action that you lift someone up is going to do in their life and then ultimately in your own life or for your business or whatever. But yes, within the uh, book, we show an illustration as well of like, okay, so what happens if someone chooses to not do the thing? What happens if they say something negative to someone else or put them down or they take credit for their idea, right? You could have easily been like, you know, blow it off. And then two weeks later been like, hey, I had this great idea, right? And it was her idea, but like, maybe you don't even remember she said it, but you that you say it, then you get credit for it. And then everyone's like, oh, Cody, He's so smart and awesome. And she's over here like, hold on a second, which is actually a phenomenon that happens to women all all of the time um, is that their ideas get spoken over or they get kind of um, co-opted by someone else. And it's oftentimes not on purpose, right? Especially if there's a bunch of people talking about things and, you know, you hear an idea and then you forget about it. Then you're like, oh, what if we do this? If no one speaks up to be like, that was actually an idea that Rachel had a few minutes ago. I'm glad you brought that up. Let's circle back to it. Rachel, did you have anything else to say about it? You know what I mean? Like that stuff is so important. And so that broken ripple effect can do a number of things. And that could make her be like, well, it doesn't even matter. Why would I even speak up if Cody's just going to take my idea anyway? Or he snuffed out my idea. He thought it was dumb. So now, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak up again or like, Hey, you know, I don't want to work with these people because I don't feel like they're very supportive. So then she leaves. So then, you know, you have to train someone else to do the thing that you had trained her to do. So that's more of an investment of time on your end. And so I just think that there are so many different ways that, doing the things to lift women up can create positive ripple effects and then doing the thing to not lift women up and or to detract from lifting women up can um, can have negative consequences and side effects. Yeah, another thing I really liked about the book and this conversation right now is you just gave me additional languaging that I could have used and and tips. And that's what I what really stood out is the book, which I haven't even said the word of it, the, the name of the book, you've mentioned a few times, but it's strong women lift each other up. And, uh, and, 
the book is not like any other book I've really read in that there are checklists and templates. I don't think you would call them scripts. I call them scripts. You just gave me a script I could have put in my next, you know, corporate email that I send out, but it's, it's checklists and, and cheat sheets and exercises to go do in the book. Walk me through how that idea came to be to say, I don't want just, I don't know, stories, or I don't want to just preach at people or whatever was going through your mind. Say, I want to give them a manual uh, of sorts so they can have the blueprint and have the languaging and have the desire and then know what to do. Uh, talk me through that process. Yeah. So what we do at Girls Come Strong is education. We help people get from where they are now to where they want to be, whether it's a woman going through her own kind of health and fitness journey or a health and fitness professional trying to get them to take the certification, whatever the thing is, right? Trying to get them to actually go through and finish. So we are all about the psychology of behavior change. How do we actually get the people to take the action that's going to build the habit, that's going to help them gain the skill, that's going to accumulate to have the success that they want to have. And so I, it drives me bananas to be going through a book and at the end be so inspired and excited and be like, I have no idea what to do next, right? And have all this like positive energy, like, yes, this is, you know, I'm on board with this. What do I do? And so it was so important to me to be able to make it not just informative, but transformative. So how can we actually get people to take action to do the thing, right? So when someone comes to me, they're like, I'm struggling with my body, with my body image. It's not like you should just love your body. End of story, right? Like that's not helpful. That, that's not giving them something to do that's actually going to allow them to take the action to retrain their brain, to improve their relationship with their body. So what are the things that we can do? So throughout the book, starting with 10 chapters and from chapter three to chapter 10, there are exercises and action steps that you can take. And like you said, checklists and templates and scripts and things like that so that people can actually implement it into their life. So one example is how to say no the right way. So a lot of women say yes to things things that they either don't have time for or they're not super interested in because they're afraid someone's going to think that, you know, they're not a nice person or that, you know, they're going to get in trouble if their boss asks them to do something and they have to say no, or the people aren't going to like them. There's kind of some people pleasing tendencies there. Um, and so within the book, one of the things that I share is like a script for how to actually say no. And so number one, I, I want to say, I do think it's important for women to realize that no, on its own can just be a complete sentence, right? So oftentimes we fall into a trap of over explaining, but I also think that saying no in a really kind and uplifting way is a powerful opportunity to role model lifting women up for other people. So I share an example in the book of what it, a, a no that I got from a woman, um, Dr. Krista Scott Dixon and the impact that it had on me because of the way that she said no. And then in one of the bonus downloads that comes with the book, I give a template for like, here's how you can do the thing. And so it's like, here are three ways that you can actually like say the no part. Here are three examples of ways that you could say something really nice to them about their project. Here are three ways that you can um, tell them whether it's okay to follow up with you in a few months or whether it's not, you know, like, so basically they can mix and match and be like, okay, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to say this and they can kind of Put, put their whole no email together and then kind of smooth it out so that they can actually do the thing and put it into action right away instead of just being like, oh, Molly said that I should learn how to say no. It's like, no, no, here's the actual thing that you can do and send to someone else um, to role model what it looks like to, to say no in a way that lifts other people up. What was the way that she told you no? I remember hearing the story, but I forgot how she phrased it that made such an impact on you. Yeah. So she said like, Hey, thanks so much for reaching out to me. It's an honor to be included. So she didn't make me feel, cause she was, this was back in 2013. She was a really big deal at the time. And I was actually kind of like audacious and naive to reach out to her and, and give her this request. And we were a relatively new organization and couldn't pay her. And so, you know, I was just kind of like, do you want to write for free for my website? I know you're a really big deal. Um, but she said, you know, I'm honored to be included. So she didn't make me feel small or like what I was doing was not special. And she said, right now I'll sadly have to decline. And which again, made me feel good. Cause she's like, Hey, I'd love to be involved, but I can't. And she talked about how, like at this point in time, you know, I'm having to really focus my efforts on a couple small projects. Um, but what I think what you're doing is super and I've long been a fan. So she was very encouraging to me. And she said, if you could follow back up in three to six months, there's a chance that I'll have a little bit more bandwidth and could be, you know, available to help with your project. And there's a couple other things that she said, but basically she 
you know, thanked me for reaching out, said she was honored. She told me that she like why she couldn't, or she told me that she couldn't do it. She told me why she couldn't do it and provided an example and then gave me the open the door for me to follow back up. Right. And so even if she hadn't done that, she had said, Hey, I don't think I'm going to have any time in the foreseeable future, but I would love if you reached out to Dr. Helen Coleus, my colleague, she's really amazing. I think she would be fantastic for your site. Well, you know, she, KSD opened the door for me to reach back out to her, but if it's not feasible for that and something that I often do, because I, there are a lot of projects I have to say no to, I turn around and recommend another woman for the project, which then lifts up the person who's asking, lifts up the woman who's being recommended and like, you know, and then allows me to kind of bow out and say, Hey, I can't do it, but I think you'd really like this person. So it's another way to role model saying no and lift other women up along the way. That's awesome. And one thing that I have experienced when it comes to this uh, subject matter of lifting up women or when I get confused or uncertain on what to do or how to approach a certain situation, what I often do, and I'm not proud to admit, is I just do nothing. I'm like, well, I don't want to do something wrong, so I'm just not going to do anything because mm-hmm. I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to, um, I don't know, I just don't want to do the wrong thing. And it leads to inaction. And there was a quote in the book that really stood out. It says, curiosity is the antidote to each of the voices holding you back. Curiosity is the antidote to each of the voices holding you back. And so I like that idea for sure about the idea of being curious. To me, what that means is me exploring possibilities of, well, what would it look like to lift up a woman today? What would it look like to use my platform to edify a project of somebody that I really care about? Or or like my wife's got this super cool, awesome business stuff happening right now. I'm trying to really uh, lift her up and and give her a lot of support and encouragement because she's facing a lot of fear and doing things she's not comfortable doing. And um, my... uh, a friend of mine, uh, Allison, she's a, my ops manager. She's got these really cool businessy things. I probably can't talk about public publicly, but they're, I'm so proud of her and what she's done. And so I, you know, I want to encourage her and support her. But so often I'm met with indecision, and then I just don't do anything. So can you talk to, a bit about um, that idea? I guess of being curious. What, what do you mean by that? How can we start to employ that in our day to day? Yeah. So in chapter two, so chapter two is all about principles of lifting women up. So I talk about how lifting women up is going to be different for everyone, right? The way that Cody is uniquely qualified to lift women up is going to be different than the way that I am. We're going to have access to different resources. We're going to have different things we're passionate about. We're going to, you know, be put in different situations, right? So there's no one right way to do it, which is a really good thing, but there are some principles that apply. So getting curious is one of those. So I tell people as they're reading through the book that they might kind of hear some of these voices in their head as they're reading it. So they might hear the I can't voice, right? So, you know, that won't work for me in my situation or, you know, easy for you to say, Molly, you know, they might hear that I can't voice. They might hear that I know this voice. This one is dangerous, especially for people who read a whole lot and consume a whole lot of information, but don't necessarily put that information into practice. So one of the examples that I use is most of us know that it's a really good idea for us to move our bodies for at least 30 minutes most days of the week, to eat protein and vegetables with most of our meals, to drink plenty of water and stay hydrated, to not you know overconsume alcohol, to get seven to nine hours of sleep at night, but how many of us are doing all of those things on a really regular basis? Like not very many, right? And it's okay. It might might not even, you might not even want to do those things on a regular basis. It's not about shaming. It's just saying like, hey, we know these things are really good for us. And yet they're still hard for us to do all of them on a really regular basis. So when people are reading through and they're like, I know this, I've already read this. It's like, stop and ask like, okay, Is there, you know, how well am I doing this in my life? Is there a nugget of this that I could take and do a little bit more or a little bit better, right? And then the last voice is kind of the the defensive voice. Like, well, that won't work for me and I don't have time for that. And, or that's not my situation or that hasn't been my experience, right? Like I talk about in the book, all of our kind of opinions and thoughts and ideas are shaped by our lived experiences, right? So where you were raised, the family you were raised in, your gender, color of your skin, you know, the fact that Christy's your first girlfriend and you've been together forever. Like you and I have had wildly different life experiences. And so some things that I say in the book might not ring true for you. And so instead of being like, well, Molly doesn't know what she's talking about. That doesn't make any sense. You can kind of step back and be like, okay, huh? So is there a way I could make this work for me? Is there a little bit of this that I could try to implement into my life? So instead of getting defensive and just think this doesn't make sense, you know, this doesn't ring true from my experience. This won't work for me. You kind of step back and get curious about it. And curiosity, man, it is just so 
powerful. It helps us get introspective, helps us figure out kind of what's going on with us. It places a little bit of space between whatever's happening in our life and the feelings that we're having and allows us to respond instead of react. It is just one of the most powerful tools, developing that tool of getting curious. Why am I feeling triggered by this situation? Or how come I'm scrolling through Instagram and feeling some sort of way about whatever I'm seeing. Like, what is it about me? That's what do I have going on? That's making this thing that I just saw make me feel this particular way. And so it's just really allows you to take inventory of yourself, how you're feeling, your experiences, get introspective and allow you to have a lot of power over yourself and your reactions and responses to things. Yeah, another unintended consequence of this principle is last night we went to dinner with the family and two of my sons were kind of fighting, tussling, waiting for the food to come out. And a lot of how you just approached that, this concept is a lot of what our awkward drive home was. Like where it wasn't me yelling, like, well, why'd you do that? And why'd you hit him? And what's wrong with you? And what's gotten into your brain? And why are you, you know, what, whatever. It was a very, it was a, a, a posture of curiosity. And that's an example of me doing that with somebody else, but also to myself saying, hey, like, how do I feel in this moment? Like, am I angry? Am I frustrated? What might I have done today that led them to think that that behavior was acceptable? What shortcomings might I have had or whatever, like with no shame of like putting us in that situation or whatever. It, I like what you said about it creates some space. And that's for myself, you know, between me and myself and then between me and my children or me and my spouse. And I can only imagine the power being amplified when it's, um, you know, opportunities to do what's talked about in the book of lifting up uh, other women or in my case, lifting up women. Um, one exercise that you had that I really liked in the book, I actually did it. The book said, you know, go do this thing. I'll wait. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. Uh, I, it says to go Google the phrase successful woman and see what comes up. And so in the book, it's like, I'm waiting. I was like, all right. So I went and did it and I didn't see what you wrote next. And so I looked at it and analyzed it. It was like, I think there's maybe 12 pictures in the Google image preview of us, of what Google said a successful woman search should return. And I came back to the book and you were like, do they look? predominantly like this. I was like, wait, yeah, they totally do. They were, and for the most part, they were young, uh, thin, uh, white, um, super sexy or, or like business sexy, you know, dress. And I was like, oh, she, she got, you know, she, this is totally true. Now, I don't know what that, it's hard for me to experience that. That was a revelation to me. I was like, I never even thought about this or the ripple effect of what this might mean for people to say like, in my world too, Molly, I'm thinking, you know, could I speak on a stage or could, could Cody invite me as a speaker to one of his events or could we do a Facebook live together? Or could we, what if he featured me in one of his emails or what if he like, I don't know, like I don't look like the other people that the Google says that I should look like or something like that. So that was like the lens and the filter I used to process that. Walk people through that exercise, I guess, and, and how they should um, experience that. It was really interesting. This is one of my favorite topics. I'm so glad you went here. So this exercise was first brought to my, my attention by Dr. Larissa Mercado Lopez. She's a professor of women's studies at Fresno State. She's a curriculum developer for Girls Come Strong. And she first brought it to our attention by um, writing an article about basically who gets to be fit, right? And the idea was to Google fit woman or healthy woman. And surprise, Almost all the women that show up fit that exact same um, kind of criteria that you were just talking about. Young, white, fit, lean, kind of, you know, sexy, uh, you know, like they just, they all fit this really particular mold. And here's the thing. It's important to know there's nothing wrong with those women in particular, right? But it's who's not showing up in that search. So we see an average of 4,000 to 10,000 images a day. And our, we're only processing about, media scholar Jean Kilborn says, we're only processing about 8% of what we see consciously. So the other 92% is being processed subconsciously, right? So it is shaping what our brains think to be right and true and good and normal in the world. So for example, if you never read a book that said the sky is blue, if you go outside every single day and you see a blue sky, you are going to think that it is normal for the sky to be blue and that that is what is true, right? So when we see these images all through media, social media, magazines, TV, movies, of what a healthy woman looks like, successful, smart woman, fit woman, whatever the thing is, it is shaping our perception of what we think that looks like. And so at this point in time, there is a systemic lack of opportunity for women. 
it, there's, you know, when we look at Fortune 500 CEOs, only 7% of them are women. When we look at U.S. Congress, 27% of that is women. Only about 11% of heads of state globally, so prime minister, chancellor, president, are women. And only about 2.8% of um, capital investment went to companies in 2019 that were wholly funded by women. And when we go to conferences and there's 10 speakers, there's usually one or two spots for women. And those one or two spots for women are typically filled by the women that look like the Google search, right? They're young and they're fit and they're white and they're in good shape and they don't have visible disabilities. And, you know, it is a very narrow kind of um, appearance, whatever, for the people. So when we look around and we think this is normal, we believe that there's a lack of opportunity for women and that there are only, that some women are more likely to get that opportunity, then women will compete with each other for those scraps instead of demanding more for ourselves and each other. So instead of saying, hey, right now there is a systemic lack of opportunity, but it doesn't have to actually be this way. But the only way that we can make it not that way is if we work together to create the change. But oftentimes we are so busy comparing ourselves, feeling like we're not good enough, feeling like we don't look like the person who's most likely gonna get one of the spots, not pretty enough, not lean enough, not fit enough, not successful enough, not a good enough parent, not smart enough, not successful enough, whatever the stuff is, we're feeling like we're not enough. And so then we're comparing, feeling jealousy, struggling with our body image, feeling like we don't measure up and competing with other women for those spots instead of saying, wait a second, like, hold on. We should actually work together to do our own thing. We should create our own conference. We should support one another. Like we should do our own thing and create more spots for ourselves and each other. And so it's this kind of vicious cycle of when we look around and think that the way things are right now is normal, this lack of equitable representation in important places where decisions are made, whether it's government or sports or academia or business or places of worship, when we think that's normal, then, we're, then we'll fight with each other for those limited spots. But when we can step back and say, it doesn't actually have to be this way. We can do things differently, we, but we have to work together to get there. We still have to kind of overcome that feeling of like, there's not enough for me if I recommend, you know, Sarah for that conference spot, like then I'm not going to get that conference spot because there's only one. Right. And so it's this, yeah, it's this really powerful kind of like social construct. Like the idea of a social construct is that it's true because we agree that it's true. So if we go to a conference and there's 10 spots and there's one or two for women and we agree that there's one or two for women, then that becomes a reality because that's what we've all agreed to. Right. But if we say, Hey, actually we can do our own conference. Um, you know, we can have more spots for women or whatever, then we are, creating a new reality, but we have to work together to do it. I wonder when that starts. I mean, I, I a really memorable trip that I took a few years ago, I went to a prison with entre other entrepreneurs to meet with incarcerated humans. And at the end of the day, it was, it was a really weird emotional thing for me, but at the end of the day, it was really heartbreaking. And I thought as I was leaving that prison on a three hour bus ride, I thought I wish if there was that magic wand I could wave to make these issues go away. Uh, a lot of the, the men that I met that day, they didn't have a dad. Like it was probably 95% or something like that. And I thought, man, that's crazy. What an advantage that I had growing up with a parent. You know, my parents were married and 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 I, it, my dad was a cop, which is why I had some weird feelings about dealing with other incarcerated people. And um, I thought, man, if I could, if we could just go back though to when they were one or two or three or four or five years old and say, you know, you're enough and you're loved and I love you more than anything. Like, and it was really a, a heart-wrenching thing. And I feel a similar emotion coming on as we're talking about this, because I wonder how far back this goes. If it was the first time they were, they said their idea was silly and they were in third grade or fourth grade or fifth grade, or they were passed up for a leadership position of the speaker that presents this senior science project, or they didn't get the homecoming, you know, queen thing or whatever. They were admonished at, at prom or, or student council or whatever leadership positions or places to have a voice and feel you have influence and you're seen and you're heard. And then that carries into college or whatever the, the college age years, and then into your twenties and your thirties and beyond. What do, what are you? What do you think about that? Like I'm, I'm asking is how do we fix this? Like how far yeah. back do we have to go back in a young woman's life to say what you're saying here and the and what you teach in the book? Literally, Cody, the day that she is born. I mean, mm -hmm. the day that you put her in a onesie that says princess, you know, cutie prince, cutie pie princess, or whatever, and the boy is in his 
like builder, strong, brave, superhero thing, right? We're saying you're here to be looked at and you're here to do something and to change the world. And so it literally, and again, there's nothing wrong with saying a girl's a princess or whatever, you know, for her to like that kind of stuff, but we have to be mindful from the day that they were born. There's evidence to suggest that when children are as young as 18 months old, that they are observing and attributing differences in behavior to race. So literally at 18 months old, they are already shaping their perceptions of who people are and how they think they're going to be based on the color of their skin. So it is so powerful. Their little brains are so powerful. And again, it's shaping them. Like if you put them in a room, and you told them that the sky was like black or purple or whatever, and that's all they ever saw, like that's what they would think their reality was going to be. So it starts literally when they're born in how we talk to them, how we dress them, how we speak about them. Like I saw, uh, I watched the, I think it was like the Framing Britney Spears um, uh, documentary or whatever that the New York, New York Times did. And she was on, I'm going to get this wrong because it's a little older than me, maybe the Ed Sullivan show, or she was on some show, Star Search or something. Um, and she sang and whoever the host was, was like a seven year old dude and he's like do you have a boyfriend and it's like hold on a second this little nine-year-old just blew everyone's minds by having one of the most powerful voices we've ever heard and the first thing that you ask her is if she has a boyfriend and then she says something like no boys are gross and he's like well, what about me and it's like whoa you know like and again that was 25 years ago we look at that at the time we're probably like ha 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 but it's like whoa okay so we're talking to her about not about what she just did and her accomplishments but having a boyfriend and then she says no and then you're saying you're talking about wanting to be your boyfriend like what is this you know what I mean like what is happening here and there's also research that shows that 85 percent of young girls opt out of things that are important to them because they don't like the way their bodies look so that means young girls are not raising their hand in class. They're not going out for the sports team. They're not running for class president. They're not trying out for the school play because they are worried about how their bodies look. So if you think about, again, this like compounding over time, right? Like, like getting 1% better or 1% worse over a period of time. Like think about how many opportunities they're missing out on to develop leadership skills, to develop confidence, to develop athletic ability, to develop, to develop a healthy relationship, to, you know, try and fail and get up and do things over again and develop resilience. Like they are literally missing out on their own lives. And think about the deficit that they're at, even just like when they go off to high school or college after day after day, week after week, month after month of not doing the thing because they don't like the way that their bodies look. Because we teach young girls that the most important thing about them is the way that their bodies look. And so when they opt out of things because they feel like they don't measure up, they're missing out on critical development opportunities, personally, professionally, academically, because of the way that their bodies look. Yeah, that's such a heartbreaking thing. And I, I ask again, kind of selfishly as a father to three sons and I'm helping them my oldest especially start to navigate what are interactions like, what have those conversations go. Um, and I won't go into his personal life on a, on a Facebook live or on a podcast, yeah. but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a front and center part of our house. They've always gotten, for example, maybe it's just because I was raised in Texas, uh, but they've always gotten more in trouble when they disrespect mom. Um, for, you know, for example, like, I don't know, it doesn't feel right to me. Like she takes care of you. She brought you into this world. She'll take you out that kind of like yeah. Texas, uh, dad vibe of like, mm -hmm. this, this isn't how we're supposed to treat, um, uh, women, especially just kind of starting in my house. At least the only woman here is, is my wife, Christy. Um, so I'm asking that it, it makes me wonder what interactions, uh, they're, they're having at their school or the, their friends that are girls are having at their school that, um, that we can kind of go back and I don't know. I don't have the magic wand. Yeah, thing, so I mean, I'll... I think you know, there's, there's this really delicate balance, right. Between teaching them that women and girls are to be respected, but aren't, but not in like the patriarchal, they're there, like we'll take care of you kind of way, you know? So like women and girls are powerful. They are to be respected, but they can also handle their own, I think is important as well. But like, I think there's a lot of responsibility for parents of boys to teach them, yeah, the girls are to be respected, that they're not to be objectified or sexualized, that they're not to be, you know, stared at or leered at. Like when I was, um, when I was 11, I was at the mall, uh, just walking around or whatever. I was, my dad had dropped me and my sisters off and we were walking around and I got started being followed around the mall by two 30 year old men. And we went to security and told them, and I was told that if I hadn't been wearing such short shorts that this wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. And so at 11 years old, 
the responsibility for the inappropriate actions of these two 30 year old men was put on me that it was my fault because of what I was wearing. Right. So I think teaching boys to take responsibility for their actions is really important. I think talking about consent is incredibly important. Um, 33% of women globally are survivors of sexual assault. Um, 81% of women in the U.S. report experiencing street harassment. And again, I can remember like just all this stuff happening and it just being like, oh, boys will be boys. And this is just kind of how things go. And it's no big deal and whatever. And it's like, it, it builds the foundation of the pyramid that leads to the assault and the violence and stuff at the top. So I just think the more that we can do to teach young boys and girls, you know, respect one another, not objectify one another, you know, like consent is really important, whether it's in a conversation or, you know, I know your, your boys are young, but, you know, even just like touching the way they touch girls, the way they talk to girls, like, I mean, guys were snapping my bra strap in middle school and whatever, stuff like that. And um, so, yeah, I think the more that we can teach them uh, to be respectful of women, but also that women are strong and can take care of themselves and are smart and are capable and can be their equals and, you know, the boardroom and things like that. I think all of that stuff is as important as possible, but it literally starts when they are born. It starts again by not dressing young girls to be looked at and dressing boys to play and be adventurous, right? Like, um, I think that all that stuff is very important. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think maybe at this point in the conversation, people might be like me and they're thinking, okay, this is um, eye-opening and what do I do? Like, how do I how do I help this? And so there's a part in the book that um, I'm not going to quiz you on. I actually wrote them down. So I've got a cheat sheet here in front of me, but you offer up eight small but mighty ways that you can lift women up. And this this is for guys, girls, anybody. I'm just going to go through them real quick and then we can chat about, uh, you know, whichever ones are your favorite or whichever ones are the easiest. But for those listening or watching, these are things you can do today and, and, and every day. Uh, so the first one is to share their work. Um, a friend of mine I went to college with, her name is Laura. She also wrote an amazing book and I just got it in the mail today. So I quickly snapped a photo and tagged her and said, you know, I haven't talked to her in 20 years, but I'm really proud of what she's done and what a cool book. And so that was my expression. Again, thanks for giving me the tools to be able to exemplify this. Giving someone a genuine compliment, catching them doing something right, give credit where credit is due. And I wrote down, because I'd never heard the word before, you touched on this earlier, but uh, the word was heapeating, which I'd never heard before, but where a guy just repeats what a woman said and gets credit for it, and that's not fair. Um, and so I'd never heard that word. So that's like cemented in my brain, I, maybe it's, it's it's not a dad joke, but it like fired that part of my brain. Like, oh, that's a clever play on words I've never heard before. Um, I'll stop right there. So those are the first four. We'll do the second four here. Talk us through those, like what examples of those, those seem like such easy, doable, tangible things that we can all do. Yeah, like you said, sharing another woman's work. There are so many ways to do that. You can share it on your social media. You can recommend it to your friends or family. It's just a really important way, especially if you're sharing it on social and you're tagging them. Like they see that you're sharing it and then they feel uplifted and they feel more confident. Like, hey, you know, people really like this or they're excited by this thing that I've done. So it's a little boost of confidence, raises awareness about them and their work, giving a woman a genuine compliment that has nothing to do with her body. It's really important because so often we think that the most important compliment is like, oh, you look amazing or have you lost weight or you don't even look like you just had a baby, you know, as if that's the most impressive thing that a postpartum woman has done within the last year is not looking like she's given a baby instead of actually grown and birthed a human. Um, that's like the number one compliment, right? So how can we give a compliment that has nothing to do with the way that she looks? And then, um, uh, and then catching a woman doing something right. So I consider a compliment to be like directly related to her. Like you're so inspiring, you know, like you're always so confident, things like that. Catching her doing something right is like, Hey, when you did that thing earlier, like that was so cool. Like, I love that idea that you had, or, or saying like, Hey, I saw the way that you stood up for so-and-so in that meeting. And like, I, you know, I really loved that or whatever. So catching her in the act doing something right. And then you said, number four was the giving credit where credit's due. Um, yeah, so that is also very important. There's evidence to suggest that women are chronically undercredited for their work, and that um, is even more true for Black women and women of color. So it's really important that when women have ideas, when they come up with things, especially in the world of social media, when it's so easy to snag somebody's quote and crop their name out and like post it as if it's your own, right? Like, so important. Like, women are like, that's their intellectual property. They're building their businesses in this way. Like give women credit for their ideas, their thoughts. And that also helps build a relationship with them. Right. And people aren't going to think that you're less cool because it wasn't your original idea. Like if people are following you and then you credit someone else, then they're going to think that you're a good human who gives credit where it's due and that builds this relationship with this other person. And then that person's more likely to do that for you as well. So there's some reciprocity there. 
Yeah, the next one on here, it says to be intentional with uh, with your spending. So for me, I look at investments I make in my business or courses I buy or programs that I buy or books that I buy, uh, stuff like that. But walk us through that because I'm not, I, to be honest, Molly, I never think in my head, I'm like, I really want a great cup of coffee and I don't know who the owner is. I just know that I want a cup of coffee. So when it comes to our everyday spending, what are some easy things that we could do to be more intentional to support women-owned businesses and things like that? Yeah, totally. You can just do a quick search of like local coffee shop and then in quotes woman owned, right? Or like woman owned business or like there are different, um, I think, is it maybe Yelp now that has a tag for like tagging when businesses are woman owned and a lot of places are doing that for like black owned businesses. Mm. So just being really intentional about where we spend our dollars to help support those organizations, that's going to give that person more funding. And then if they're employing other people, then that's going to carry forward, right? Because then you're going to be helping them pay the people that they support. And then a lot of times women, women owned businesses or black owned businesses are very intentional about who they hire and who, what suppliers they use and things like that. So there's that ripple effect again of like, now you're helping them pay their employees and now you're helping them, you know, fund uh, the buy inventory from a supplier who's a woman-owned business or whatever. So that kind of ripple effect can carry forward as well. The next one is endorse or recommend another woman's work. So I, maybe that was the example I gave this morning of my friend Laura's book that arrived in the mail and I couldn't wait to share this awesome thing she had done. Is, is that what we're talking about here? Are there any other ways to, to do that better? Yeah, totally. So I think some of them overlap, you know, like the, the important thing is not like, did I do number one or did I do number six, you know, and I'm not saying that you're like that, but some people are like, I'm not sure which one this falls under. It's like, it's fine. It's just, just do the thing, right? Don't let that, don't let that uh, not knowing which category it falls under prevent you from doing the thing, but yes, endorse or recommend another woman's work. So it could be sharing their stuff on social media. It could be writing them a letter of recommendation. It could be like in the example I talked about earlier when KSD was like, Hey, I'm not available, but you know, reach out to Dr. Helen Coleus. She's amazing. Like that's, an endorsement or recommendation. You can nominate for someone for an award. You can, you know, write them a letter of recommendation to, you know, be on a board somewhere. You can recommend they speak at an event. So if you attend an event and you've been an attendee for a couple of years and you're like, hey, there needs to be more awesome women speaking here. You can write them and say, hey, I've been attending your event for three years. I've noticed that you have lack of visible diversity in your speakers. Here are two women that I think would do a killer job at your event. Here's their names and contact information, right? So there are a ton of different ways to kind of just put your own kind of clout um, behind other women. That's awesome. And one thing you mentioned in the book that I forgot to mention here is uh, leaving a great review. That's easy to do. I don't do it that often, but it would take me, I don't know, 60 seconds to leave a thoughtful review of your book or of my friend Laura's book or of a restaurant or something I went to. So that's another great yeah. tactical thing to do. Uh, next up is speaking up when you hear someone saying something negative about a woman. Um, that's something that in my head, I'm like, I don't think that comes up a lot in my life, which probably isn't true at all, but I haven't thought about that a whole lot. So talk about that for a little bit. How can we do that better? Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of when we hear something negative said, so like so often and people aren't really working in the same like, you know, buildings and office spaces and stuff as normal, but there's also a lot of evidence to suggest that even when like, let's say men and women in leadership, for example, do the exact same thing, right? They teach the exact same course. They teach the material the same way. They write the emails the same, like that the way the women, it's viewed that the, the job that the women has done is less than the man, right? So the woman's more likely to be called abrasive. She's more likely to be called, you know, the B word. She's more likely to be spoken negatively about where this guy is like, oh, he's very, you know, assertive and assertive. he's very like whatever, like he's a great leader, right? But like, she's the B word, she's abrasive, she's shrill, right? So, so there's that kind of thing underlying, right? Uh, the way that women are showing up in work and the way that they're spoken about. There's also just a lot of other negative ways women are spoken about, whether it's what they're wearing or how they're parenting or, you know, the pictures that they're posting of themselves online. Like in the health and fitness industry, it's really common to make fun of women who are, you know, posting pictures of themselves in like lesser clothing and stuff like that. And like, for to me, like all, none of that stuff is helpful, right? All of that stuff is contributing to the idea that women and women's bodies are up for judgment and commentary and other people's opinions. So I think it's really important when we hear something negative said about another woman to speak up and kind of, it because it does a couple of things, it calls awareness or attention to, the, to what's being done. It kind of disrupts that narrative so that everybody there isn't like, oh yeah, ha, ha, you know, then if you're like, well, actually, you know, I think that in that meeting, Kelsey was really smart and prepared. And like, I really enjoy working with her. I don't think she's abrasive and over the top at all. And then the other people are like, oh, yeah, but yeah, she is. Yeah, she is smart and prepared. Like, you know, oh yeah, that's a different way of thinking of it. Right. And yeah. so it does, uh, it, it does a number of things, raises awareness to it, helps disrupt that narrative, and then shows other people that you're willing to stand up for 
women, you know, that, that you are willing to do the thing. You're willing to call someone out on their behavior, not even in a negative, it doesn't have to be a negative way. It's just like, hold on, I'm going to share a different perspective here because that's not how I view that person. Or I don't actually think it's appropriate to comment on other women's bodies and what they're wearing. Blink, 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 right? Like someone's like, I can't believe so-and-so is wearing that. And it's like, I don't actually think it's appropriate to comment on what other women's bodies and what they're wearing. And it's like, oh, that just kind of like all of a sudden brings awareness to how often we do and say these things. Cause these are the waters in which we swim, right? This is like, it's like we're fish swimming in water. And if we don't stop and recognize the water that we're swimming in, then we never know that it's shaping the way that we're swimming, right? And so I think just raising awareness about the stuff is incredibly important as well. And the last one is calling in versus calling out. And I, I think for a good live example of that, just rewind this podcast about 30 minutes where you gave me some examples and it, I didn't feel negative at all. It was very gentle where you gave me a, a script basically that I could have put in that carbon copied email to, to these, these people on a project. And that to me is a very, maybe gen, gentle is the words coming to mind is a generous, gentle, like, Hey, here's a, here's even a better way to do that. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between calling in versus calling out? Yeah, sure. So this is a, this is, this is a little bit of a delicate subject because I want to be careful in saying like, do some people probably deserve to be called out because their behavior is routinely inappropriate or bad and being called in and, you know, being held accountable isn't actually doing anything to change their behavior. And so it's going to take an online uproar to get them to do something different. Yes. Understood. Yes. I think that definitely is a thing that happens at, at, at times. Um, however, we go back to the psychology of behavior change when that happens, when we get called out, our nervous system goes into overdrive. It goes into sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, you know, or freeze, defend, protect myself, double down. Like I'm not in a learning state, right? So that's when our brain's like danger, danger. You have to get out of here or you have to fight or you have to do something because you, you're in danger right now. So that's not a conducive moment to learning for most people. And so when we call people out, again, sometimes necessary, but we're putting them in that fight or flight, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, and for most of them, they will either disappear or they will double down and, and on the thing that they're saying and defend themselves. And we see this constantly on Twitter and especially like in things like politics on both sides, like this is happening a lot, right? But when we call people in, particularly when we are generous in our assumptions of them and we say, hey, when you said that thing earlier, like you know, that wasn't really appropriate for this reason. And I know you're not trying to, I know you're not the kind of person who wants to hurt people's feelings. So I wanted to call to your attention that like that language isn't appropriate, or I feel like you could have done this better or like, Hey, Cody, you know, you really could have given Laura credit earlier. I feel like you missed out on an opportunity to do that. And I know it's important to you to do things that lift other people up. And so I just wanted to call to your attention that missed opportunity. Cause I thought you'd appreciate the feedback. Right. So calling in is about like creating a space where of like learning, of not assuming, and of helping people hear feedback and constructive criticism in a way that they can actually receive it and do something different. Because that's the whole thing that we're trying to do, right? We're trying to all grow, evolve, do better. I think feedback and constructive criticism is actually necessary and important to keep moving us forward as individuals and as societies. Like we know how much language has changed over the last 50 years, whether it's related to, you know, gender or race or whatever the thing is like, like this stuff is changing all the time. It can be, you know, hard to keep up for some people. So you just say, instead of saying like, oh, Cody's a jerk. I can't believe he used that word. You're like, hey, Cody, that's not actually something that people, you know, are really using anymore. It's kind of harmful for this reason. Like this is a better way to say that in a way that's going to be you know, kinder and more uplifting to people, you'd be like, Hey, thanks for bringing that to my attention. Like, I really appreciate that. It's important to me to be respectful of other people. And instead of being like tweeter, you know, to tweeter, tweeter, twit, what can I say this? Twitter tweet. Cody's a jerk. He said this thing. I'm going to call him out. Let's make a gif of him, you know, saying this word or whatever. She's like, Hey, like, let me, let me bring this to your attention. Cause I think you're awesome. And I think you want to do the right thing. And so let me help kind of bring you along in a way that, um, that is positive and gives you the opportunity to, to do better and create that change. Yeah. Awesome. Well, as a, as a reader of the book and as a person who does desire to make the world a better place through the concepts taught in the book, I'm grateful to you and the team at Girls Gone Strong for giving uh, all of us the tools, the frameworks, 
I was going to say a playbook, but my, well, I want to kind of close the conversation with this because I do like the idea of a playbook. Like, I don't know, maybe because I'm a fixer and a lot of people can relate to that probably. Okay, there's a problem in the world. How do I fix it? And there was a concept you cover in the book that really there isn't a playbook. And then my word's not yours, but like, and also don't freeze due to inaction because you don't know what to do. So there is no exact playbook. You're not going to get it right all the time, but there's here's as much help as I can give you to be mindful of these things, to be curious about these things, to keep these types of, uh, this type of subject matter top of mind and then and then go do your best like you know like go try to genuinely help you know help people and help make the world a better place so uh, as a i'm grateful for the book i'm proud of what you've done and what you've put together and and how much uh help it's going to be to so many people so congratulations thanks for doing it it's, it's already helped me a bunch and hopefully my ripple effect that i started through reading the book is already two four sixteen sixty four you know <laughs> multiplied down the road um just based on you know reading the book recently so any final thoughts on the book? Any Where can they go to get the book? I guess we should talk about that for sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty much all the places that books are sold. If you want to see a list of all the retailers, you can go to mollygalbraith.com forward slash book. It's on Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, Audible, Kindle. Um, it's 30% off on Amazon, Target, 46% off on Kindle. I just wrapped up recording the audiobook last week, which was super fun. If you're someone who likes audiobooks, I read the audiobook. I like kind of like broke away from the manuscript and told funny stories and things like that. So there's some fun bonus content in there. Um, and then another really cool place that you can purchase the book, which again, if you go to mollygalbraith.com forward slash book, you'll see this option is a place called bookshop.org. So it allows you to buy it through there online, but then funnel some of the proceeds to your local independent bookseller. So that's a really powerful way to um, lift people up who are struggling right now with the pandemic. A lot of brick and mortar bookstores are struggling. So it allows you to order online, but funnel that money um, to those people. So all those different options. And then if you just Google strong women lift each other up, you should be able to find it. Um, if you forget the mollygalworth.com forward slash book. All right. Well, Molly, thanks for coming on to the show today to share with us uh, what an amazing message and what an amazing messenger to take this to uh, to so many people. So again, congratulations and everybody make sure you get a copy of the book and check it out. I loved it. I know you will too. So thanks again. Thank you. And thank you for um, sharing the ways that parents can implement it with their children. Like I just, I think and the ways that men can implement it into their life. So it is, it is geared towards women, but I appreciate you sharing the ways that somebody in your position as a father, as a guy, as a father of three sons is implementing it into your life. So thanks for having me, Cody. And I look forward to doing this again sometime. All right. Thanks.